Nerd Fury. It's the best show of all around for five people. <laughs> what? Welcome to the Nerd Fury podcast. <laughs> this, is, this is the podcast where we talk about our favorite movies, shows, books, and video games, and all of the above. I'm Jim Lovecheck, and this is my co-host, Dan Granado. That's me. Today on the podcast, we're talking about terrible movies, according to the box office. Not talking about Catwoman, Hercules in New York, or The Sex Lives of Potato Men. That's a real film. It's Don't watch it. the dumbest thing. Don't watch it. It's Don't the watch dumbest it. thing. It's we're, just like Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. Yeah, but that's at least funny. This yeah, seemed but I don't like, think they were trying to think it was funny. I think this is like a legit... Like maybe Follow, like after yeah. like the first one, like kind of like the Evil Dead. Evil Dead, the first Evil Dead. Yeah. They were trying to make a horror film. And then they're like, oh, this is terrible. Oh, like, we I, stumbled I, onto something good here. Bruce Campbell's a good, yeah, funny. Yeah, I think we're just going to make this a, like a comedic horror. Cause it worked, dude. Army of Darkness is hilarious. I mean, my favorite thing about the first Evil Dead is that uh, just for like the blood, it would change colors three times within a scene. That's funny. Start off like black tar. Then it went red. And then it went orange. Orange? Yeah. Somebody Every time it cut it, back to the girl, and she's like, his head orange. It was like orange blood. That's All right, whatever. That just means they reshot that scene a lot and yeah. ran out of stuff to pour on her. They probably like put it and was like, whoa, that's too concentrated. You need to water that down. <laughs> it's red. All right, it's perfect. What? More? What do you think? We have a budget? <laughs> <laughs> but the second one, dude, I, I saw it. I was homesick. Army of Darkness. Yeah. I was homesick from school, and I always used to just watch the sci-fi network because they always take goofy stuff up. Yeah. I watched it. I was like, oh, my God, this is fantastic. Because he doesn't want to learn the phrase, and then the book bites him, and he fights himself in the thing. And he pours tea down his throat to drown one of them in his stomach. TV show was actually really good. Really? It was just like the movies. Like It's it's hilarious. Ash vs. the Evil Dead? Yeah, yeah. I should watch that. But anyway, yeah, we're we, uh, we talking We digress about from shitty. good films. Yeah. We're talking about shitty films. Not real shitty films, just films that flopped at the box office but became some of the most beloved films you've ever watched on TNT or had on DVD. Like like we're talking like The Big Lebowski. Never did well, but it was a cult classic with it like almost immediately after we went into syndication. Bingo. You got it. We're not talking about like John Carter, which is technically the biggest flop of all time. Although I really did enjoy that movie. I bought the DVD. It was fun. It was yeah. a fun movie. But when you spend $200 million and only make a 150 at the, the box office, nobody's yeah. going to remake that. I mean, they tried to make the book, compri- compress that book into one film, but then attempt, try to make multiple films. Because they were just, I don't know, they were trying to like just spring on the literature and the mythos mm-hmm. at you. And we're just expected to be like, okay, yeah, this is the thing. Yeah. The book's are really, really good, though. Real swashbuckly. Yeah. Written by the same guy who wrote Tarzan. Real, real good. So we're talking about great movies that flopped at the box office. Let's define what flop is Yeah, at of course. first. So basically, it just means either you didn't make your budget or you didn't make enough over budget. So let's say, to make the math easy, your budget was a $1 million. Mm-hmm. If you make $1.1 million, it's still technically a flop because you didn't make enough money on your investment. Right. Your budget was a $1 million, but that's not including... All the the marketing, marketing, the 
the maybe, salaries of yeah. all the actors. Maybe there was more rewrites that went into it. Yeah. You know, tons yeah. of stuff, tons of stuff. So we're going to get this going. This is the list um, that we comprised. They're in no particular order. Yeah, First, this is just basically what we believe are really good films that really just snubbed. Like, you wouldn't expect it if you, like, someone said, yeah, this did terribly. You're like, oh, really? Okay, You're like, cool. how? Yeah. And the first one on this list, The Shawshank Redemption. Oh, I love that film. Such a good movie. I mean, this is probably the only movie besides, like, The 13th Warrior where if I invite somebody over to my house and they're late and I ask them why they're late and they say, oh, The Shawshank Redemption was on, I'm not going to get mad. I'm going to ask them what channel it's on. You know, the Shawshank Redemption, uh, that movie was the first... There was a scene in that fi- movie when I saw it. That was the first time... Hmm, maybe I should... Before I finish the sentence, I should probably... Spoiler alert? No, no, no. Uh, it's I should probably finish what caused me to feel this way. Is it penetration alert? It is. No. It was... Uh, it was the scene where, like, he, like... The poster that he puts up... Mm. For um, well, I guess spoiler if you haven't seen it, where he, where he was hiding his getaway, like yeah. the hole he digged up, and there was that model, that supermodel, I Rita Hayworth. Yeah, because the title in the the novella is Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption. Oh, okay, yeah, Rita Hayworth. Yeah. That poster, I was like, hello, right? I was like, that was a girl in the '60s. Yeah, and then you look at up girls in the '60s, and a lot of them you're like, it's it's just a different. Well, there. Beauty was has evolved over the years and what we've yeah. viewed as beautiful. I mean, if you look at girls from like 1919, you're like, that's a supermodel? Yeah, they had a lot of makeup, like, short bobby hair, and yeah. most of them a- just had Agnes? gigantic knockers. Yeah. Just like stupid. I mean, like if you go baby. to colonial times or like the Greeks, what they viewed as beautiful women were really big, voluptuous women. Yeah. Like there's the, there's the um, statue of Aphrodite. And she's like sitting down, and she's got. And I'm not saying this is a bad thing, but she's got. No, she's a, got like a little, yeah. little, uh, little, little dupa, plump. little dupa. Yeah. And that's the goddess of love. No big deal. No big deal, ladies. We love you, big or small. I mean, I have no choice. But whether or not you can pin me in a wrestling match, or I can fling you around like pizza dough, you're all beautiful. <laughs> it's true. It's true. So why was such a good film? How did it flop at the box office? I think it suffered from, I think this is a syndrome I invented. It's not in that psychological journal that has all the diseases in it. It's called Clyde Drexler syndrome. For anybody who doesn't know who Clyde Drexler is, he's a Hall of Fame basketball player. He was drafted the year before Michael Jordan. Okay, Was he on the last dance? He probably will be. Okay. So he got drafted to the Portland Trailblazers. He's a very, very good player. Don't get me wrong. So he was doing very well. So Michael Jordan got drafted third overall in the right. 1984 draft, I believe it was. And Portland had the number two pick, so they picked a big guy because they had Clyde Drexler. Oh. So Michael Jordan went on to, you know, dominate the NBA for 20-plus years almost. Yeah. And while Clyde Drexler is very, very good, he couldn't beat Michael Jordan and all no. the other people in the West until he – went somewhere else in the Houston Rockets, and Michael Jordan retired <laughs> for those two years. So why does this apply to the Shawshank Redemption? The Shawshank Redemption was released at the same time as Forrest Gump 
Oh. In Pulp Fiction. <sighs> so that's rough. That's like releasing a film anytime a Disney film is coming out that same weekend. You're going to lose that weekend. Yeah. Which is pretty bad because, like, the who's the actor that plays the main character? Tim Robbins. Tim Robbins. He's been pretty snubbed for the most part in his career. Like, he's had he's really great. He's funny. Films. Like, Jacob's Ladder. Yeah. He's funny. He can act serious. He's has he been a bad guy in something? Not that I've seen. And he was he was an anchor man, dude, as one of the rival. He was like the public access. Yeah, he was anchor. the public access. <laughs> no one will suspect public access. No commercials. And he was on that really really. Um, the show itself was bad. Uh, that HBO show where he was like the president or the secretary of state. Oh yeah, and uh, he, yeah, it was pretty bad. He I was hilarious remember. in it. Yeah, he what? was hilarious in it. And Morgan Freeman had one of the best roles ever. Oh, yeah. I think it was his defining role. Oh, absolutely. And when you think of Red, you think of Morgan Freeman. In mm-hmm. the book, he's an Irish guy with red hair. That's why they call him Red. Uh, <laughs> well, hey, something that, uh, you know, like in today's age, that's one of the big things that are people are like kind of sensitive about is people – People who don't how like um, hire actors um, that you know just because they're it's written like hey that's a white uh, redheaded guy doesn't mean it, it's like who cares what it is as yeah. long as it's a good actor yeah. that will portray the way the words correctly right it, but I can see it from the other side where like they were having that big issue with Tilda Swinton. I, I might have be butchering her name. Oh, when or, she was in the, Doctor the Strange. Master? Yeah, yeah, that one was a little interesting. I mean, she did a good job, right? Or and, when um, they cast John Wayne as Genghis Khan in like the '60s. Yeah, terrible. Well, the, the favorite one, which is like they had the opportunity and they kind of just went, "Well, the comic was this way." Iron Fist, Dude. terrible show. Dude, unless you really love sh- shows about board meetings. <laughs> was pretty terrible nonetheless uh like they had a chance could have been just because in the comic book it was like a white guy that somehow mastered kung fu and was the best kung fu artist in the world that sounds like the plot to beverly hills ninja yeah but not funny that's true beverly hills ninja was hilarious and he was terrible at martial arts Like they could have, they could have picked anybody. There's a ton of like, I would have been fine with like Donnie Yen playing the Iron Fist. Mm -hmm. He would have killed it, killed it, or picked some random dude. Yeah, like any unknown. They could really like with that type of role, they could just pick any person that was a stunt, stunt man of any kind or martial artist. Yeah, like the guy who played the Night King or who was Darth Maul and the bad guy yeah. in Blade 2. Mm-hmm. He's done. Well, he was also a vi- the Oh no, he wasn't the villain. No, maybe he was in a villain in He was Marvel. in Hellboy. He was in Hellboy yes, 2 as well. Yeah. He was great. He was, he's, he's so he good. Delivered the lines perfectly fine. Yeah. And that's all you really have to do for Iron like you don't have to be like You watch the Iron Fist cuz you wanted to be like this are going to be some good fucking fight scenes, especially Absolutely. when Marvel uh, and Netflix was like every show had a defining hallway scene. Dude, that fight in 
Daredevil, where Daredevil. like the dude was legitimately tired and it was taken in one shot. Yeah, man. And even Jessica Jones had really good fight scenes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she's a skinny white chick. I know. And the guy she was fighting didn't really fight. You know, like the, what was it, Kilroy? Was that his name? Oh, the her the, the villain? villain? David was, Tennant's role? David Tennant's, yeah. It was Kilroy or the Purple Man. You yeah. Know, yeah. That was, he was so That good. is one of the best villains. Yes. And I've then, ever seen. Yeah. Because it was psychological. Yeah. And that's what really what villainy Yeah, be. and like they dropped you in after he had already mind fucked her like a whole bunch. Yeah. And then it turns out it's like his spit that makes people listen to him because mm-hmm. it's like some bacteria and she's yeah. immune and then she breaks his spoiler, then she breaks his fucking neck. Oh dude. And then she suffers PTSD for like Yeah. For like the next season. Yeah. Yeah, and she can't fly. She can just jump really, really high because she's super strong. Love that. <laughs> Love it. And Daredevil's just a blind guy who can echolocate stuff, and he was trained to be a, a fighter. Yeah. And they, they cast that dude perfectly. And so I'm sorry. He may, there's been talks about him uh, joining the Marvel Universe because he really why would they need to, re, like, why do you need to recast someone who's doing the role perfectly? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's why they were, like, in DC World when they did the justice league everyone wanted grant gustin because they viewed him doing that version of flash Mm -hmm. really well yeah the only thing i don't like about him is the flash in all the comics and again and again this doesn't really matter because it's just because it's in the comics he's in really really good shape the Mm -hmm. dude who does it on the show he doesn't look like he's in that good of shape like when he wears the flash yeah when he wears the flash uniform you can tell he's a skinny dude he actually gained a lot of weight really uh because he used to be on glee a lot funny thing about dc uh universe arrowverse most of the people there's a lot of people on the show that used to be on glee i did not know that grant gustin used to be on glee um i can see him being on glee though now that you said it yeah uh, who else used to be on Glee? Oh, uh, Supergirl. Really? Was on the last season. Both of them were on the last season of Glee. That's awesome. Because the reason why I say that is because Stephen Amell as the Arrow, <laughs> you can tell he's in great shape. Yeah. Oh, he wanted to become Steve Oliver Queen. I want to say Steve McQueen. S- Steve- John Oliver Queen Stephen. <laughs> Yeah, and so sorry that we get so far off track, but that's just how we are. Back to the Shawshank Redemption. Another thing that was going against it, and I found this in an interview with Tim Robbins, who plays Andy Dufresne. He says he still gets people coming up to him butchering the name of the movie. So he'll be like, I loved you in Saving Scrimshaw. He's like, dude, it was the Shawshank Redemption. Exactly. And I don't know what else you would call it, though. You can't call it the Green Mile. That name's already taken. Right. by the same author right. like what are you going to call it the tunnel or something terrible and then it's not as good of a film because the name's bad yeah like i don't know how you would fix that what what, what do you call it? rita hayworth that's misleading like you know what i mean i mean that, what, what was the name of the actual book the so it's it was in a i read it in high school and it was four novellas they're like 100 pages each what stand by me was in that one yeah uh but it was called the body so Switch that up. Find a way. You guys are making millions of dollars to do it. Then you had Rita Hayworth in the Shawshank Redemption. That's the full name of the novel. Yeah. App Pupil. And then The Breathing Method. The Breathing Method is creepy. That oh, might yeah. be the best story in that that novella s- series. Because it is creepy, but kind of has a happy ending. Is it? What, just read it. I'm not going to spoil it for you So, guys. question. 
Hit because me. I'm not well versed in reading. <laughs> um, okay. What's the difference between novella and just a novel? Novels are like two fifty and up. Okay. Novellas are like longer than short stories because short stories are like up to thirty pages. Yeah. Novellas are that in between. So okay. Because like when you say novellas, I'm thinking of like I don't know a crime story like a noir. Oh you know? yeah. So so in like it, there's a. It's, let's say there's 400 pages in that book just to make the math easy. Yeah. There's four different hunter page stories that have a beginning, middle, and end. Oh, okay. So, like, it, okay. So, like, uh... so it, let's break it down like TV shows. So, each season sh- would be a novella, basically. No. What I, what I mean by that is you've got sitcoms, which are like 22 minutes because that's how they are. Okay. Those are short stories. Right. Then novellas are like those hour long shows that you watch. So those, like forty-five-ish uh, uh, minutes to maybe a little bit longer, like okay. Game of Thrones, yeah, would yeah. be a novella. Okay. And then feature films or novels. Okay. That's how it works. Okay. That's the easiest way I can break it down. And so now that we're back on the Shawshank Redemption, man, <laughs> took a roundabout way to get this done, but it actually got nominated for a whole bunch of Oscars, and then people are like, "Oh, maybe I want to go see this." So they actually re-released it, and it did okay, and then killed it when it once it got released to home video well yeah because it was i mean that is a type of movie that probably did real well at your with test audiences yeah yeah you know like when it's just like you see it and you're like huh what's that all about yeah and it's like probably like the editor's choice you know yeah employee manager's choice director's cut director's cut too (laughs) is that blockbuster was that their like pick was director's cut oh I thought you meant like the term blockbuster for movie. It's no, been so long since rental stores yeah. have been a thing. Back in the day. <laughs> Guest pick, like staff picks. With four walls that you could go in and take movies. And they usually came in these weird plastic cases and you had to rewind them. Ooh, I never rewind. We had a rewinder. Ah, oh, yeah, me too. <laughs> we thought it was the coolest thing. And then you're like... <laughs> And ours popped up when it was done. When like that was built in to your VCR, you're like, "What is this magic?" Right? You had to this pop is the it pinnacle out. of society. Yeah, and then they had VCR DVD combo. I remember when DVDs came out, and I was like, "Wait a minute!" So then I was like, "Wow, this is so much better than watching on videos because videos would skip." I heard this very pompous thing one time. It was a some YouTube channel, and um, it was this. I forgot the YouTuber's name, but he said this thing. He was like viewing, like touring his um, his studio, and he was had this huge wall of just VHSs. And he was saying like, "Oh, this is my VHS collection, but it's all the DVDs I own in my library that I converted into VHS because DVDs are ruining." Um, the film industry. I'm like, the fuck does that mean? And he was like, but then Blu-ray came out and that saved the film industry. I'm like, that is the dumbest thing I ever heard. That might be the dumbest thing I've ever heard and I, I've watched Trump press conferences. Because <laughs> I mean, DVDs were that next step. To, like, Blu-rays are good, but DVDs you can yeah. still get because DVDs are half as much well, as like, Blu-rays. His argument, which I, the only thing I can agree on was like his argument was when DVDs came out, it was... Um, too good of a of a uh, picture. of an upgrade. Oh, so that and our film we weren't filming digitally then. We we're still filming in film. Yeah. So our um the makeup was for that that you put on your like the actors were meant to pick up for an actual like old film. 
And when they converted oh. digitally, it was too crisp of a thing. And then they had to redo um, how they do makeup. They had to do that every time they updated, like when 4K, when the Blu-rays came out. Really? Because you could tell they had the actors had makeup in their first early films that were converted into 4K. Right. And you're like, oh, this kind of looks weird. And that's because they, the makeup artists, they were just putting on makeup for the camera equipment at that time. Right. That that kind of, But, like, you have like, to do that, Like, though. nowadays, before then, like, then, you had stage makeup on in those right. movies. Because that's how, like, it would be able to be picked up, the details of your face and the right. highlights and stuff like that. Yeah. Now, you're basically, other than prosthetics that you're putting on, it's just normal makeup that you get from the store. But it's like you gotta still advance, right? No, I mean, you but know? this is what like this is why he was like saying, "Oh, it's ruining Blu-ray." But then Blu-ray saved it, so it's just a now just like I just have the VHSs. I'm like, it's the dumbest thing I ever heard. Yeah, I still have some VHSs of old Godzilla movies, but that's just because they're nostalgic for me. I'm never gonna yeah. watch them again. I mean, I do agree there is a certain feel to a film that's actually on film. Yeah. Um, but that's like, there's just like the certain films. Like I want to see my old films. I want to see, um, it's a wonderful life on a VHS. I don't want to see it in a DVD. And then where it's just like, we digitally remastered it. I'm like, it's black and white. What do you need to digitally remaster? I completely agree with you. Or you got to love a movie that makes it look like you're watching it on tape. And I think the best movie that ever caught that ever Kung Fury. (laughs) I can't wait to the sequel. Dude. Arnold Schwarzenegger as the president is like the right timeline. That's the, that's where I wish the yeah. timeline went instead of what we have. I now. just know what they, what movie he's going to, how it's going to look because he made that first film so cheap, like two hundred fifty k, I think, and it was all crowdsourced. Yeah, and that scene. It was where, only five people in the whole film. Yeah, <laughs> like he, that scene where where Hitler calls the police station and then shoots the gun through the phone. <laughs> Hello, is this the police? Blam blam Fuck blam you. blam blam. <laughs> He's he's doing he's all of the police in the station. Yeah. Yeah, he's just doing like the motion like the uh, I think what's the term? They do like duplicity or something like yeah. that is the the industry trick. term? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's like it's he's like a master of it. Like Yeah. It was oh man, it was so funny. And then like he took the keyboard to the past and they had laser wrapped <laughs> is it was so funny. So, and it but yeah, we digress anymore. So what's the second one? Again? Second one we have on this list is Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Another great film. For those of you who can't tell the difference, it's the one with Gene Wilder. The yeah, better the, of the two. Not the Giant Depp one. Even though the Giant Depp one was actually filmed and um, it was the most accurate film to the book. To the book. Yeah. But like the dentist thing. His yeah. dad was a dentist. And that's why he started making candy. I'm like, what? Oh, all right. Well, yeah, sure. Yeah, it's. It, I didn't like it because Johnny Depp's portrayal seemed kind of creepy. But with this movie, it's. And I know everybody says this about classic films, but it, this was definitely way ahead of this time. It came out in like 1971. Yeah. And it's yeah. a dark comedy musical aimed at children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's super dark. I mean, his parents at the be- grandparents at the beginning can't get out of bed. There's four of them to a bed. He's living. He's a in destitute poverty charlie yeah. is which i'm sorry by the way grandparents have been in bed for how many years i don't i don't and know he just know, yeah. learns how to walk just after like two minutes of singing what an asshole which means he's probably doing yoga on the sly when everybody else is asleep 
He's doing limber stuff and doing jumping jacks. He's going to the pub. What an asshole. Uh, so, <laughs> especially when he was like saying, "Like, oh, this is, you're my favorite, uh, Grant, Grandpa, you're my favorite," and they're, they're all there. They're like, what yeah, the fuck, like, hey, man. And okay, then, bye, and then he have didn't, fun. didn't the grandpa talk him into drinking the soda too? Yeah, what an asshole! What an asshole! Yeah, you know, he was trying to have his son have a little fun because yeah. it's the only time he was gonna have probably fun. Yeah, because they didn't think he, that they were gonna win. Yeah, that makes. I guess that kind of makes sense. And the creepy dude who was trying to get the gobstopper, too. Yeah, that guy freaked me out as a kid. Dude, right? Or the girl who blew up into a blueberry. Like, I get it's goofy. Yeah. Or the fat German kid who got stuck in the the tube. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. G. Rogers like, oh, the pressure will get to him. God. Great film. But yeah, like, that film, like you said, was ahead of its time. And, like, I think Gene Wilder, as an actor, he was pretty much ahead of his time as well. Oh, dude, absolutely. I mean, he was viewed as very eccentric as a in real life. Yeah. And like when that film was like going on, they kept his performance super secret. He didn't want anyone to know how he was going to portray other than the director, Willy Wonka, because he want genuine um, reactions from all the kids. Yeah. Like a lot of these things that happened in that film, they kept from everyone other than the director knew about it and Gene Wilder knew about it. I love that, dude. Like when they first meet him and he does like that trip fall thing after he's limping. Yeah, that was Gene Wilder's idea as well. Yeah, Love it, dude. Love it. So why did this movie flop? Besides it, it being way ahead of its time, one of the main factors was the author of the original book, Roald Dahl, publicly disowned the movie. The reason why is because he was kind of a little bit of a jerk, in my opinion. He was supposed to write the script, but kept missing deadlines. Mm. So then they're like, dude, we're going to have this guy, David Seltzer, who's uncredited, by the way, rewrite it. So he got mad and publicly shamed the movie. You know, the only reason why they made the the remake of it is because he died. Oh, really? Yeah, that was the only reason. And his daughter said, gave the okay. I did not know that. That's, That's really interesting, to make it kind of darker than it already was. Yeah. Well, he would have liked it because it was to his book, and that was the other reasons why he didn't like this. Like this one, it's because they were it was further away from how he wanted wrote it. I well, I'm, you have to adapt it to the screen because that scene where they're in the darkness on the boat, yeah, and Gene Wilder's being that, super yeah. creepy, and yeah. like there's that weird like mushroom trip everybody mm-hmm. goes on. There's another thing that they did not super know dark. how he, like what that scene was. None of the actors knew what was happening in that scene so there that fear is all real real that fear all real all real i love when they do that like an alien that scene where the chestburster first comes out yeah i guess technically a spoiler alert for a 41 year old movie but the scene was just it emerges so they had no idea what it looks like so all the actors reactions are genuine, including that chick who got sprayed by the fake blood and she screams at the top of her lungs. Would it be funny if, like, even the actor that was getting the fi- the uh, alien part of it didn't even know about it? Yeah, and he's, and just he's like, freaking out. The fuck's the- oh, shit. Oh, ah! oh, we're doing it. We we're filming. <laughs> so, yeah, I love it when they do that to actors, but not, like, in a dick way, because I heard on, oh, what's that dude's name? He directed Stanley Kubrick. Apparently, he's a big jerk to his actors. Oh, yeah. Because like, he like he, he wants it as gritty and as real as possible. Yeah. So like, there's been times where his actors like storm off after 200 takes. Well, the, of them being strangled by another the, character. Uh, uh, oh, it's The Shining. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like the the girl who plays the mother. Mm-hmm. Um, I only remember really from for being um, 
Olive, whatever. Oh, Popeye, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ron Williams, Popeye. I just remember from that. But, um, like, she was had deep, deep. Like, like PTSD yeah. from filming that film. And uh, I think he, he was involved in the abyss some way. And there was a scene where somebody was getting strangled or, like, get, like somebody was on top of her beating the shit out of her. Yeah. And he made her do the take, like, 70 times. And she's like, she stormed off and she's like, fuck you, I'm not doing that scene again. Yeah. Like, it's God, ridiculous. That was another film. That's I wish they redo that film. That film was really good. It was really, really good and like scientific. Yeah, it really was really good. Like, there was like you don't really know what like that there was aliens. So like growing up, I was like, okay, this is cool. Like a cool underwater like film. And then yeah. like, wait, there's aliens? Oh no, they're not aliens. They're just people that have been living here. Right. What? Yeah. Which is yeah. That was a, that was another great movie, but. Back to Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. No. Again, same thing happens as a lot of these is whenever people actually see it, they realize how good of a movie it is. Mm-hmm. So this got released to cable syndication. People eat it up. Right. Great movie. Great movie. Love it. Gene Wilder's hilarious. If you haven't seen Blazing Saddles, go see it. If you haven't seen Young Frankenstein, go see it. And I'll even throw in Robin Hood Men in Tights because that's also hilarious. Jim Wilder's not in it, but it's a Mel Brooks movie. Oh, I'm like, what? <laughs> I was going to say, what about uh, Now You See Me? Nope, Now You See Me, Now You Don't. See No Evil, Hear No Evil. Ooh, that's, or Blue Streak with him and... I think uh, it was See No Evil, Hear No Evil with uh, Richard Pryor. He, they were in a couple movies together, but yeah. I, I know Blue Streak was one of them too. Yeah. Gene, oh, Gene Wilder was great. So funny. So funny. So we're moving right along here. Number three on the list, Fight Club. Oh, yeah. Fight Club. So about that film. So considered one of the best movies in the past twenty years, I'd say. It's yeah, a great I think movie. some people like read the movie as gospel to a point where like I I agree with everything that's happening in this film. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it you can say it's generational defining. Yeah, like you, it's got a twist in it you never see coming. Yeah, absolutely. Edward Norton's great in it. Brad Pitt's great in it. Chick who's in every Tim Burton movie yeah. is in it. She's great. The The movie's fantastic. Even Meatloaf's in it, and he's awesome. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he's got really big boobs. <laughs> so that, interesting, that he wore a fat suit. Really? Yeah, he didn't actually get big, that big. He was already pretty big. He was already pretty big, but he put, they wanted to really emphasize that he had, you know, man boobs. So they gave him uh, this fat suit, and the fat suit weighed 100 pounds pounds on top of what he on top of what he weighs so he was carrying around 100 pounds extra on in basically in front of him oh that's the worst because i mean it had to be 50 pounds just on the chest (laughs) such a funny phrase but yeah (laughs) (laughs) but yeah it's so good and the reason why it flopped um in a couple of interviews with ed norton and brad pitt i'm gonna reference them individually though ed norton blamed it on the marketing of the film he said the higher-ups at the studio didn't like the film because it's a film that rails against capitalism at all costs, which is pretty much the antithesis, antithesis excuse me, of Hollywood. It's yeah. just basically make it for as cheap as possible, make as much money on it. doesn't matter if it's got any substance or not. Mm-hmm. So he, the higher-ups, it, it kind of seemed like they wanted to sabotage it. And in a different interview, Brad Pitt said that people at the premiere booed it. Now, dig a little deeper in that. Who's at premieres? Big wigs in Hollywood. Yeah. And everybody else who put money into this film. So when you you put money into this film, you want to make money off of it, and it's making fun of you to your face. I mean, get a spine, but 
they may not like it. So both of them were quoted as saying that the studio didn't want the film to be a success. But again, same thing happened. I it I think it broke the record for DVD sales. Like they had to ship like two million DVDs initially, okay. which is insane. Yeah, I guess I don't. I'm not a DVD I mean, sales 90s, guy. I mean DVDs. That I mean when that came out, DVDs were still new, so yeah, it was very yeah. expensive to make. Yeah, yeah, and it's a very cerebral movie too, which tend to not do that well at the box office, except Inception, which had Leonardo DiCaprio, so that's a little bit different. Yeah, and um, Brad Pitt was a big draw, but I think yeah, at the time was... Edward Norton wasn't. No, uh, so Edward Norton. When he was, uh, the director wanted him, mm-hmm. but the uh, all the, um, the the heads of the comp of the studio studio heads. There we go. Um, they didn't think that Edward Norton was going to be a big draw. They wanted to put big names to it to get as many se- uh, butts on the seat. Yeah. So like they wanted Matt Damon first, and uh, I think yeah, Sean Penn. Which at that point, Sean Penn was actually a pretty big star. He had, he's a good actor. He's a good actor, but in that point, he was doing a lot of films. He did Mystic River, mm-hmm. which was a big draw, and I think he was doing oh god, what was that Milk? film? Huh? Was Milk around then? Where he played like the gay? No, center? I think uh, I think Milk was after Fight Club. Interesting. Okay. Um, I don't know that many Sean Penn movies. Well, there was that besides one Fast where Times he went, at Ridgemont High. <laughs> yeah, but there was the I think around that time. He did that one film. Oh God! It's when Tropic Thunder was like, like you never go full retard. Oh, they were fine. They were talking about Sean Penn because he was so, he did it in a such a believable um, take on people I am with Sam. mental ill. I am Sam. Yeah, with people with uh, mental disability that people got offended. So he was too good. He was too good. That's why they the, like the joke saying, you know, and Tropic Thunder never go full retard because people will be like, just will feel awkward about it because it's right. too real to them. Right. They, they, yeah, they didn't and go like, to see a documentary. I mean, most people, when they look at people with mental disabilities, they don't know how to react, how to like right. portray, which most of the time you just, just act normal. Right. They want more of like, a Forrest Gump or a Rain Man performance. We're exactly. like, yeah, they're awkward and you know something's wrong with them, but you're you're not like, oh, that person has yeah. deep-seated issues. Right. You could be like, oh, he's eccentric. Yeah, and that doesn't make you feel bad at your core because, right. yeah, I get it. But yeah, the, but we're, so they wanted it. Matt Damon wanted was going to be in it. I think he was the first choice. I'm surprised they didn't want Keanu Reeves because he was a huge draw right around then. Yeah, I don't. He could have been just doing, not wanting to do movies. At oh, the, yeah, because that, that was right around the Matrix ish time. Yeah, so maybe he was just locked down with maybe. that for the rest for three films. So yeah, and um, Edwin Warren and Matt Damon were both the finals for another film, mm-hmm. the talented Mr. Ripley. Oh, obviously Matt Damon went with the talented Mr. Ripley, and he. He did a great job. It was yeah. one of his films that uh, catapulted him into full stardom. Yeah. And Edward Norton was like, all right, well, they're like, all right, Edward Norton, we'll give it to him. And then it wasn't supposed to be Brad Pitt. They wanted Russell Crowe. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I like where it went. Well, no, I mean, no. I, what the people they went with was perfect. Yeah, absolutely. I don't. So if Matt Damon was in that film, it's a completely different film. Because yeah. people won't believe it. Because I'm not saying Edward Norton's a like a bad looking dude, but Matt Damon's got that chiseled look, and you're like, that's what they. How has this guy got a depressed life looking like that? 
I mean, Matt Damon in Rounders is fantastic. Yes, but even like in Goodwill, and like they've seen him before. So like in right. Goodwill Hunting, he's still a good-looking dude who's smart. Right. Exactly. You know, and he still gets the girl. Whereas Edward Norton pulled off that like defeated corporate yeah. salesman. Well, look I wonder perfectly. if like Edward Norton still had the like it was even before this film, but like a lot of people are a little hesitant with hiring Edward Norton because he has stipulated in all his basically his contracts that he has say in the script. Oh, I did not know that. So like oh he any Film or uh, film that he's in, he has a say in the script for his part. So if okay. he doesn't believe that, like I don't really like how this is going, he has a say to like rewrite the thing till he likes it. I can get behind that because I, I mean, mean it's he, their face he, out there, right? And it's just a lot of movie production companies. You know, that's annoying to them because they're like, yeah. we pay these people to this, we pay you to say what we write. True, but a lot of the best lines from cinema are ad-libbed right like but that's just solo that, i know and all that but other that's stuff. something that you it's right there at the thing like hey can i try this like yeah. this line out i just want to try something out and they're like okay if the director has a good rapport with the actor some directors hate that yeah and uh with edward norton he's like this is like at like before the like the first reads while they're doing the first reads like i don't like that we need to change this i could see how that's but annoying it works I could see because that, he's yeah. a very good actor and yeah. he, what his choices are the way it is and that's one of the reasons why he was not the hulk in the film after the the first film because he wanted script say for all the films that he was going to be in and marvel was like no i kind of wish they did it might have made the hulk a better character <laughs> yeah but i don't know i like mark ruffalo's that's take true on- that's true that's true but he doesn't really have... He, Mark Ruffle plays character. the timid guy yeah. pretty well. Yeah, I get that. I get that. But so Studio Exist didn't like it, tried to bomb it. People saw it, right. loved it, as what seems to be a right. recurring theme for I this mean, stuff. I mean, Brad Pitt made $17.5 million, $17. million for that film in Fight Club, which was seven times more than what Edward Norton was getting paid. That's that's crazy. But, you know, they got to put asses in the seat somehow. It worked. Right. It worked out. If you've seen the movie, you know how great it is. You know, Matt, uh, Brad Pitt actually got punched in the ear in that scene where he tells him to punch him. Really? Yeah. Like uh, Edward Norton was going up, and the director told <laughs> told Edward Norton like actually punch him in the face, <laughs> and he like he missed and like punched him in the ear, and that reaction like, "Ow, you punched me in the ear." Who does that? <laughs> that was his general reaction. See, I love that. I love that when that happens. So we're moving right along here. And this one actually really surprised me when I was doing research for this. So number four on this list is The Wizard of Oz. Yeah, that's... I'm not surprised, but I'm surprised. Everybody loves this movie. Yeah. I mean, they made a Broadway play off of it. They made another spin off of it where it was more funky and Michael Jackson was in it. This is one of the, the most. Wiz. God, I love right? That movie. It's great. Yes. It's great. Oh, it's creepiest scene on that movie is the uh, when they're getting chased by the, I guess they're puppets. Are you talking about the Wiz or are you talking about the Wizard the of Wiz. Oz? The Wiz. Oh, okay. Go ahead. They're okay. Uh, getting they're chased by the, in the subway and there's this guy that's like kind of like a homeless guy mm-hmm. and he has these like accordion puppets that grow and chase them, but like it's a silent. And they're screaming, like, you know, uh, Dorothy's kind of, like, screaming. She's scared. But it's mm-hmm. just like that. And it's just them just bouncing. Nope, don't like Freaked it. Freaked me out don't as a like kid. Don't like it. Don't like it. So I, I feel like this isn't 
a crazy thing for me to say. This is one of the most cherished films of all time. Oh, yeah. It, it And it had a huge budget of the time of $2.7 million. This came mm-hmm. out in 1939, for those of you who don't know, which if you convert it in today's dollars, is over $50 million, which is a pretty substantial yeah. for not having a lot of special effects in no. it that are, that are supposed to be expensive nowadays. I like mean, they created a lot of new film um, right. procedures right. from this film. Right, and they were expensive for the time. Um, and the movie made only around $3 million. So this is one of those flops where, yeah, technically it made more than its budget, but yeah. because of all the headaches with... They had they had to film the scene where the hurricane came, or the tornado came down twice because the first time they did it, it just kind of looked like somebody farted on the screen. Right. Um, they did a bunch of rewrites. They originally wanted Dorothy to look like one of those um, Raggedy Ann dolls. Oh, okay. And they um, wanted it to be more like a musical. So like where she sings Somewhere Over the Rainbow, that was supposed to be like the whole movie that's why it kind of feels off when she sings at that point at the beginning and then it goes into that and it's oh yeah now i was like wait is that a musical i'm like it's not okay. it's really I not mean, other, they have musical things in there between yeah. that and follow the yellow Brick road yeah and stuff like that you know and like whenever they get introduced to a new character so it's yeah. still technically a musical i guess but it's not like sing at the drop of a hat like most musicals are where okay. it's like we're just trying to get from song to song. Well, yeah, Who cares about the plot? Basically, yeah, it's yeah song, minor dialogue, set up the next song. Yeah, exactly. You know, exactly. Intermission. Yeah, bingo. Exactly. And there was actually a lot of injuries on set, which caused a bunch of headaches for the studio too. Really? Like the Wicked Witch. The first time you ever see her, she she shows up, scares all the Munchkins, tries to get to choose, can't get to choose. Then she leaves in a puff of flame and red smoke. First scene. Nailed it. Director wanted another one just because. Totally fine. She fell wrong and hurt herself really bad to where she got second degree burns and had to take six weeks off of filming. So your main antagonist is off for six weeks. What are you going to do? Yes. So there's there's a delay there. Uh, the original Tin Man mm-hmm. went to the hospital because the makeup was spray bait or powder based excuse me and yeah coated his lungs yeah it probably had it was, like, it was lead paint metal. yeah it had real metal in it yeah he almost died that was like the even the gold uh in that film well just that stuff and i think they were uh they did a myth because one of the things that happened was with those paints back then that a lot of people would supposedly would suffer heat stroke as well because they were because so thick so thick they weren't they couldn't sweat so they were overheating that makes a lot of sense. And the, the so this is going back to the Wicked Witch. It's not an injury, but she used to have to eat only through a straw because her makeup was so toxic. She couldn't get any of it in her mouth. That's So crazy. it was brutal for everybody filming. The The guy who played the Cowardly Lion nailed the, nailed the film. Yeah. But I may be misquoting here. It's either made out of yak fur or actual lion fur. So no breathability. So the dude's carrying around another 50 pounds of a fur suit made out of real fur sweating to death. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> so his, his introduction is pretty funny because he turns out to be a coward. Judy Garland, who played Dorothy at that scene, kept laughing. Okay. And re- remember, this is 1939. What the guy did, I do not condone. But this is 1939, so it was more accepted. She kept laughing and screwing up the take. So the director took her aside and smacked her in the face and told her to get her shit together and go back out there. Didn't that wasn't that the um when she started taking pills? Might have been. I don't know, man. There uh, was so she, much wrong with that movie. Like she started ta- actually I think so because when she did that film they said she was too big. 
They wanted her smaller. So she started taking diet pills. In 1939? Yeah. There's no way that was safe. No, it wasn't. And then she was taking, it just became more and more like of addiction because she took other pills like anti-anxiety pills. and To, to, you know, to cope with that. And oh, yeah. man. So she just had like a daily drug cocktail yeah, and, with and, every meal. Oh, Oof. yeah. And I think it was like her husband at the time that was like, here you go. Here's your pills. Oh Get back God. on stage. Oh, my gosh, dude. That's the worst. So as dark as that comment got, I got a little bit of a funny little F, um, fact for this film. The dog that played Toto made twice as much as the Munchkins at 125 bucks a week. And the Munchkins... I want to say they were they were definitely from Germany, but I think they were from Munich. And because they were like a Jewish traveling troop, they were yeah. fleeing Hitler in World War II. Oh, so and most of them couldn't like speak English. Yeah. yeah, most of them couldn't speak English. That was like, uh, to kind of piggyback off that, like in Willy Wonka, you know, that film was filmed in Munich and all the Oompa Loompas were people from Munich. <laughs> so they spoke zero English. Right. And they and they were also wide range. Some were women, some were like 70 years old, some, you know. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. It was like you wouldn't know because it's just no, cause it's just people yes. <laughs> with green hair who can't do a cartwheel. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> that, that cartwheel that took 79 takes. And that's, that's the best one. The one we see is the best one that was uh, out of those takes. It was it's terrible. It's like, oh, wow. Couldn't they just say, you know what? Never mind. Yeah, that's crazy. Oh, man. And following the theme for all of these flops, mostly, is Wizard of Oz, once it got syndicated on cable, people loved it. And my mom told me this, and I didn't know this was a thing, but like once a year, it would get re-released in local theaters, like that and like The Sound of Music. And oh. that was the only time my mom would go to the theater was to see those kind of films. Interesting. So like so like kind of how like drive-throughs had like a throwback night. They do that. Yeah, or like when uh, older theaters used to do the da- the not daily doubles. The uh, yeah, um, the, the double the features. Double show features. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And they they kind of do that now when theaters were open. They do like oh well since it's Halloween we got all the Tim Burton films up and all these old classic slashers. Yeah, That's, they yeah. would do that. So we're moving right along to number five, Citizen Kane. This is widely regarded as the best film. Of all time. It's got 100% on Rotten Tomatoes and 100% on Metacritic. Oh, yeah. If you don't know what Metacritic is, I didn't, so I had to look it up. Basically, it just takes an aggr- a weighted aggregate of every single review for a movie and gives you an average of it. Mm-hmm. So, like, if we were to say, hey, this movie's great, they take that and add it to, like, a New York Times review and weight it as it should be. Oh, really? Yeah. So, came out in 1941 was a huge flop because a lot of people in Hollywood didn't like Orson Welles. They used this term, which I never heard of. They called him the Enfant Terrible, which is just basically like a young person who annoys old people, mainly because okay. of because of his stunt. I'm doing quotes here. Stunt in 1938 where he read War of the Worlds and people thought we were really being invaded. So, okay. God damn. That's such an, like, a phrase that only can be created by the silver age of our society yeah absolutely (laughs) absolutely and because and he was i think 22 at this time he signed a because of the hg wells thing that he did a lot of people in hollywood didn't like him but he got signed by rko studios which apparently owned a lot of radio at the time but then we're like trying to branch out into feature films and he he had a like a four movie contract or something like that and 
he couldn't figure out what to write about. So then his friend is like, hey, why don't you do a movie about this um, newspaper tycoon? So he's like, okay, fantastic. So that's how Citizen Kane came to be. So the movie created such an uproar that Radio City Music Hall in New York refused to show the movie's premiere. Refused. Really? So they had so that set it back. They finally get a premiere at the RKO Palace Theater, which is much, much smaller. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Most Hollywood reviewers love the film because he kind of revolutionized sound for that time yeah, period. Yeah, I do recall hearing about that. And there were a lot of really, really cool scenes of like him walking by a bunch of mirrors, which I guess which were state of the art then. So he did a lot of really cool stuff. But there was one person who despised how he portrayed Charles Foster Kane was Ooh. a Hollywood gossip columnist named Hedda Hopper. Did not like how he was portrayed. She, and her real friend, who Charles Foster Kane was based off of, she went to him and was like, hey, this dude's talking mess in this movie, and it's yeah. totally about you because that guy has three names as well. And so he finds out about the movie. He watches it. The guy that the movie's based off of didn't like how Orson Welles portrayed his second wife in the film that he buys the love nest for in the movie. Right. Who was an actual showgirl that the newspaper tycoon turned into a Hollywood actress. He didn't like that portrayal of it. So none of his 37 newspapers that he owned across the country were allowed to print anything about the movie. And he got MGM. MGM at that time was was Hollywood. Yeah. Oh yeah. To try and squash the film. And it got so bad that Wells threatened to sue Kane, MGM, and the studio releasing it to release the film because they were suppressing it so much. That's what he had to do. That's insane. I mean, oh my God. Can you imagine being a newspaper tycoon? In nineteen forty one. Yeah. And you have thirty seven newspapers. If you just ran one newspaper company, you were rich. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. But 37. Yeah. And the guy who he based it off of, it was really, really close. Because in it, if you haven't seen the movie, it, I'm not going to tell you spoiler alerts to an almost 90-year-old movie. But basically, <laughs> basically, the kid gets sold by his parents to a president at a bank for 60K a year in 19, like, like turn of the century, 1900, yeah. let's say. Today, that would probably be like, it's a ton I'm going to give you a couple million for your ton kid. of money. And when the dude first buys his first paper, he says he's, his net worth after he graduates college is $60 million in 1941, which is an insane amount of money. Insane amount of money. And the way that they portray him being able to control the press and how everybody thinks is, is very similar to how it is today. It's, it's frightening. I can totally tell how it's one of the best films ever yeah, created. Yeah, I mean, you can easily portray, like, when you're talking about a movie about people with power. Oh, dude, it's the you know, same. It's it's, it's, it's never it's same. a thing that doesn't change. Yeah, he's still he runs for governor of New York at one point, and he's still talking about how he's going to help out the working man. I was like, wow, that sounds so similar to every mm. single president yeah. and politician that I've ever heard speak. We were going to promise things, but... We just, yeah. Once we get here, it's not going to happen. And the best part is, is he threatens to investigate and throw in jail his political opponent, which is eerie to the 2016 election. Mm-hmm. And then his opponent's like, oh, by the way, I found your love nest with the lady you're having an affair with. And he's like, oh, well. So he loses the race because people find out about that. And in his newspapers, he prints fraud at the polls. I was like, holy moly, this is Fox News. Oh, yeah. It's, it's so weird. 
And the movie, so if movie flops hard because nobody heard about it. Right. You got thir- you 40 have, newspapers, I mean, you can't hear anything. That's like shutting down the internet. Newspaper, yeah. It would be like shutting down the internet or Twitter. Yeah. Like no one could be able to say. And like, nobody gets any commercials like, oh, on cable. Oh, this movie was trash or yeah. oh, this movie was the best thing ever. Yeah. You hear nothing about it. Eventually, it got nominated for nine Oscars and won original Best Original Screenplay at the 14th Academy Awards. And Orson Welles went up to receive the award and was booed. That's how much people hated that film at the time. It's insane. Like, rich people I mean, can't take criticism. No. Like, just, like, be happy that the dude made a movie about you. I mean, this is a film where, like, this is also an era where, you know, if you talked up, you got slept and you were like, oh, oh I'm sorry. Yeah, that's true. But the way he, it was, a, it's a beautiful film. It's, it's a little bit, so I watched it yesterday. <laughs> and it's a beautiful film, but it's about, to me, it's about 20 minutes too long. But that's how movies were back then. Yeah, and that film, I can never finish it. It was just too slow moving for me at yes. that time. It's very, I mean, very slow moving. And they, they still have like that ham-fisted acting, and they still do stage whispers where they talk at normal volume, but other people can't hear them, which yeah. is crazy. Because yeah. they're like trying to just take plays and control-C, control-V them to the screen. Yeah, basically. Yeah, but still a fantastic movie. You should totally, totally, totally watch it. Last one on the list. Ooh. One of my favorite films, because it came out when I was a kid, when I was like 10, so you must have been like 30 when it came out. The Iron Giant. (sighs) Iron Giant flopped hard when it came out. Flopped hard. And this boggles my mind. So I'm going to go into a little bit of statistics and a little bit of who the director slash writer was. Movie has a 96% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is almost as good as Citizen Kane. Best movie ever made. 8 out of 10 on IMDb, 85% on Metacritic. We already went over Metacritic. Ah, man. So (laughs) about this movie was it came at the tail end of Disney's domination of animation films. Right. Where it was all set in a fantasy setting with flying carpets, talking pots that sing to you, and they're all musicals. Mm-hmm. And Iron Giant was a Warner Brothers film, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. They were trying to weave their way in there because they're yeah. like, oh, man, Disney's been making money on this for almost a decade. We need to get into this. Mm. It sounds very familiar. Yes. And so the, this movie, if you haven't seen it, you should go see it, is about a boy who finds an alien super weapon in the woods in 1950 during the height of the cold war everyone's dream everyone's dream super i would say dark when people are used to seeing you know flying through the air eating apples and there's genies all over the place you know right what i mean and also this was actually a pretty serious message about the cold warfare war in general. Well, yeah warfare in general too yeah and and now Judgment. Gonna, yeah and prejudging people yeah. and like people can change well, even was, mccarthyism was everybody's red time, right yeah, yeah, yeah okay. oh yeah yeah mccarthy ooh. And you had that guy who was basically McCarthy, the FBI agent or CIA oh, agent, whoever yeah, he uh-huh. was. And so it's pretty. It's a pretty dark, gritty film for the time, which is 1999, I believe it came out. Really? So that came out the same time as Matrix. Yeah, and the and Fight Club. And Fight Club all, all around that time. Real dark, gritty movies. And um, so the guy who wrote it, Brad Bird. Just to go into a little bit of background on that, then I'm going to go into background on why I believe this movie flopped really, really hard. This guy 
growing up wanted to work for Disney. He worked on The Fox and the Hound for oh, Disney. That was another kind of underrated film. Right. A, very dark, too. Yeah. Very yeah. dark and real about people changing and like sometimes people grow apart. We can get into that in a, in a later episode. So he wanted to work for Disney for so bad. Then he didn't like the way Disney was going, criticized management, got fired, got hired on by Warner Brothers because he wanted he had a passion for animated film. After The Iron Giant, he went on to write and direct The Incredibles. Won an Oscar for that. Oh. Write and direct Incredibles 2. Huge financial success. Yeah. Wrote and directed Ratatouille. Won another Oscar. And he also worked on Mission Impossible 3. So this dude is a very talented individual when it comes to movies, directing, and writing. For sure. So why would a movie helmed by this guy flop so hard? Mm-hmm. The reason why I think is because Warner Brothers was trying to get... They rushed too far into... They jumped in without seeing how deep the pool was. Yeah. I mean, I think they um, like what they DC didn't anticipate did. it to yeah. do well at the first place. Yeah. Because they, they released a movie called Quest for Camelot. Cause they, I, I can see the marketing strategy. Like, yeah. oh, people like these fantasy movies where they're musicals. Let's just make a fantasy movie that isn't a musical. Flop super hard. Mm-hmm. Super hard. So they had, I want to say another one that flopped really bad. And then this movie was too far along for them to just scrap it. So they let them finish. And uh, this film was given a third of the average budget of an animated film. And they were given like second or third tier talent based on what the studio thought for animation and writing and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. So they set it up to fail. Then once, so they wanted to back out of the film. They couldn't because it's cheaper to just finish it. It tested really, really well with audiences really well to the point where the studio is like this could be a good film do you want to delay the release they said this to the director brad bird do you want to delay the release so we can mark this right he thought if they delayed the release they'd never release it period so he said no right which he probably was i think in other uh in more recent interviews he was saying that like eh, it was a dumb decision but at the time you like when he was coming from probably he was a new director and the way that they were treating the film leading Initially, up to the yeah. that point, he was probably like, I don't trust anything. They, you know, like they're Absolutely. probably just trying to find any excuse to bury this film. Because like, money. what's a couple yeah. million to them? Right. And what was funny is, so after this gets released, and then same thing happened. Nobody went to the theaters to see it, really. It, it came close to almost meeting its budget. Like, I think the budget was like 50 million or something like that. Right. And the average for like a Disney film was like 150 for animated films, which was right. ins- which is insane. Like Hercules, I think the total budget, including marketing, was 250 million, and it was considered a flop because it didn't make that. It made like 300 million at the bottom, right? Yeah, overall, yeah. which Disney's in a whole different level. You shouldn't measure yourself based on them. So, <laughs> I I saw another another film like I just Google searched warner brothers film releases Mm -hmm. so after this one did well about four years later they released osmosis jones which might have been the biggest animated flop ever i loved i actually liked that film i hear it's a good movie but they they put like 60 million into it and only made 16 right i mean it was i thought it was very well um animated it had a good idea to it the idea was pretty like it's original you know like yeah Hey, let's pretend. And you had fucking uh, Chris Rock, Bill Murray. Wasn't Bill Murray? Bill Murray. In it? He was the well. He was the body that they were in. Yeah. People. Uh, whatever. But um, that movie. Love that movie. One of my favorite films. And I did not know for the longest time that Vin Diesel was the Iron Giant. Yeah, I, I think it came out like I think no one. Obviously, no one knew about it till like he was did like the Chronicles of Riddick or. Per, uh, 
Pitch Black. Pitch Black. Love that movie. Um, or the you know Fast and Furious when they're doing interviews. You know, it's like, oh, what were you doing before these films? Like, I was voice acting. I'm the Iron Giant, and you're like, you can hear a pin drop. Someone's like, no way. <laughs> it's like, wait, oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It, like, and then, like, once people told me, it clicked. I was yeah. like, "Oh, that's totally Vin Diesel." No, it's like interesting thing about that film was like, so the Iron Giant was actually computer animated. Interesting for 1999. That's huge. Right. So, like, typically then, like, just to put it in perspective, three years, no, two years before, or three or four years before that, when they started making The Lion King, that scene where they, um, it was the stampede. Oh, the wildebeest stampede? Yeah, Yeah. that kills Mufasa. Yeah, that was computer animated. Uh Uh-huh. Because that was the only way they can draw that many wildebeest. Right. In one time, that still took two and a half years to do. Dude, I do not envy animators because, like... Sully from Monsters Inc. They have to individually animate his hairs. Yeah, like, it's beautiful, yeah. but well, now I they, can't like, do that. Like, I can't. That's do how that. they did it before. Now they, you know, they have programs that basically you just kind of do a map, and it will it has it's like a physics uh, engine that will just mimic. Like they, every time Pixar does a film that has hair, so pretty much all their films. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, they have to create a new physics engine or software that makes the hair more realistic. That's like they awesome. had a, like for the Incredibles, I think her name was Violet. Yeah, the girl who went invisible. That goes invisible. Yeah, uh, they had to create new software to make her hair more believable. That's awesome. And then it just same thing with Sully for Monster Seek. They had to create new physics software to make with Finding Nemo. They had to take masterclass level like oceanography stuff because if you look closely, it moves right. There's little bits floating in it, and when they're mm-hmm. up top, it looks like how you see the ocean, which yeah. is insane to me. Oh yeah. So they did it for the Iron Giant, mm-hmm. and but they didn't want it to look like when you see the film, like oh that's obviously a different something's different about him than the other things. So they purposely uh, varied the lines and had them vibrate. Interesting. So that it would mimic how the variances when you would uh, an animator would hand draw it. Right. You, they would have you know different line weights, and they would it wouldn't be a hundred percent on top of each other, especially right. when you're flat. You're because they go when they animate a character, they're usually going in between three pages at once. So they can like see the before, the middle, and and what they're drawing is the next third page. So they kind of flow back, so they could kind of see like the oh, movement, wow. kind of a thing. So oh that, yeah, I mean that makes complete sense, but I, that never really clicked for me how yeah. how much they'd have to do that for like an anime film. Oh or yeah, show. That's I insane. mean it's a little bit easier now, in the sense where uh, newer f- shows that are animated. It's all digitally because mo- right. no one does hand animation anymore. Right. And uh, you can probably take the previous image and just just kind of like fade it out. So you can be like, okay, that's what this person was at at this thing. So I'm going to kind of mm-hmm. draw it. And then you can say play, you know. Right. I never really dabbled in it that much, but it's a lot easier than it was when it was yeah. hand drawn. Yeah, but... Um... Like if you were to watch an old animated movie from like uh, any of the Transformers movies, yeah, they had to hand draw that. I know that's that's that baffles me. The old, like stuff in the eighties that were like feature films that were hand drawn are like Who Framed Roger Rabbit. They had to hand draw all that yeah. shit. Well, there's some like films like they're like like even like uh, let's go anime 
like mm-hmm. anime car- shows in the 80s some of them were like are better than some of the stuff that came out in the 90s or like oh yeah stuff that i thought was like brand new stuff i'm like that was done in the 80s like dragon ball z yeah absolutely dragon Ball Z or dragon when the first one dragon ball yeah i thought it was made in the, like in like the mid 90s because that's when it came yeah, like that's, to that's us. when we got it yeah, yeah. <laughs> but not in like 86 when it came out i'm like wait what um my neighbor Tutoro or Totoro, I think Totoro, is how yeah. is how you pronounce it. I just watched that movie. Great movie. I love it. It's adorable. Studio Ghibli is like the best animated studio in you the world. You can tell it's older because of the way they animated the people's faces. Yeah. But that is literally about it. Everything so like, else is that one, uh Princess Monoko. Mononoke? Yeah. Oh, Mononoke, yeah. dude. Oh, I love that movie. It's so good. Yeah. You does the one thing with like the uh, Studio Ghibli is like some of those earlier films, you're kind of like you just assume they're like, hey, this is the world, you know, like yeah. the, that they live in, and like they have like mythos behind it. And me as a Westerner, yeah, doesn't really understand one hundred percent. Like I'm sure everyone else in the world are like, oh, this is yeah, that's the the god of this thing, you know? Right? There's spirits that live in the forest. Yeah. And I had um, so I didn't know how to turn these off, but I had English subtitles on with english dub as well okay and they still didn't match so the scene in totoro where they first move in and they see like the little black things that's okay. that are everywhere they call the the voice actors call them dust bunnies yeah but the subtitles called them soot gremlins and i was like soot gremlins is way cooler than dust bunnies i wonder if like with the closed captioning one it's just direct translation direct translation so that's yeah. probably what it is but like you know, when you're dubbing, they're kind of like dust bunnies. Okay, so let's just change this so it's just hey. From I still like suit criminals. Well, you know, America can understand this, but <laughs> yeah. yeah. But those like the Iron Giant still was a very weird like things that were like in that film. Yeah. Like for example, the original the book that the author that wrote that short it was a short story actually. Yeah. Wasn't it a kid's short story it was too? A kid's story. He wrote. He's the author of that story was original not originally because. I think he, that's what he just stayed in. Mm-hmm. He was a poet. was oh. his main uh, source of income. Got it. He decided to write that story for his kids to help them um, cope with the death of their mother who committed suicide, which I don't know what the correlation was because the story itself was even more weird. So it's not even like the same as the film. Like the only similarities is that boy runs in – way in the forest meets a giant befriends a giant and it is an unlikely hero okay that's where the similarities go away in the uh, tale as old as time tales yeah. as time in the original story it is um the boy finds the giant he's freaked out because the giant keeps following him because he's very curious he's like what a, what is this creature well yeah he got knocked on the head yeah he uh follows the boy lures the giant into a giant ditch and buries the giant in the ditch and it takes the giant three months to climb, to out. climb out of this ditch and all in time because when he emerges he has to save the earth from a space dragon weird and it was like the space dragons like attracted to um earth's um war and that was where like you know the cold war thing and like oh, because everybody's bombs. making nuclear weapons. Yeah. There's so too they much. Were, he was getting attracted by the radiation. Yeah. That's... So that's where the giant, I think, was originally supposed to be coming to Earth, was to help protect the Earth. Interesting. So 
I don't know what it has to do with a woman getting committing suicide. It's kind I think he's just trying stretch. to make a whimsical like yeah, story for I guess, his kids like, to be distracted. Don't bury a memory because it scares you. It can come back to save you. I don't know. Yeah, I mean it, that's then, that's a reach. That's such a originally reach. Warner Brothers wanted to make that film a musical. Weird. With Pete Thompson. Thompson. Weirder. Big fan of kids. That guy. Mm-hmm. Big fan of kids. And because uh, you know he had very good success. For when in the band The Who, when they made oh, um, Pinball Wizard, Tommy he does the wheel. Oh yeah, you know that was and plays keyboard. Yeah, weird. It's so weird to watch music videos and you're like, oh, that's where that he plays two instruments. Yeah, it's like, wait, how does he do that in the same time live shows? Yeah, tell me, Tommy. <laughs> I uh, need to know. Yeah, uh, but he originally was going to make it a rock opera in the early 80s. And he, there was a music Ooh. video that's out there. And it was kind of like a test screen music video of yeah. him creating things. And it's weird. I imagine uh, so. Iron Giant was like stop motion because that was really what they did. Like then, King Kong stop motion? Yeah. Basically like that. Weird. Um, weird. So that kind of like by the time it like got to a point because it kept like getting buried and resurfacing. The Thank time God got, they yeah. buried that dude. Um, Not a fan. <laughs> well, it was still going to be a rock, like a rock opera. Like Townsend was going to release a solo album. It was going to be his like solo. He wanted to do a solo album for like for like a rock opera. And they were like, "Yeah, let's do with this uh, movie right here." That we keep trying. We can't figure out how to do it. Mr. Townsend, sit on in. Thanks for taking this meeting at Warner Brothers. How do you feel about giant robots and space dragons? Can you work with that? I love it. Fantastic. Is there kids involved? There can be. Do you like kids? We got tons of kids. This is Hollywood. I mean, as long as they're 500 feet away from me. Ah, we can work around that. We got teams of lawyers. Beautiful. Fantastic. Wrap it. <laughs> I, it's just, oh, God. And when they um, finally went, the director of who ended up directing, what's his name? Brad uh, Bird. Yeah. He, uh, he botched that idea. It's like, uh, no. Thank God. This sounds like a dumpster fire. Yeah. And he, like, repurposed Pete Townsend as a just a, produ- a producer on the film. I still don't and know like, what those guys And later do. on, like when he got interviewed, T- Pete Townsend's like, eh, I didn't care. I got paid the same way. So yeah. he really didn't really care as much as he was like, oh, I want to do a rock album. I just want money. Yeah. I I don't, mm, I don't get that. It's I get like wanting to do your own solo thing, but, but I, we're looking at this through hindsight where we're like, this is a great movie. If this was turned into a rock opera, it'd be terrible. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like imagine if Star Trek was a space opera. Imagine how terrible that would be. That would be great. I don't know what you're talking about. A series. A Star Trek? Yes. I mean, so you'd have, just have Star Trek Voyager, the remix. No, 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 no. You get Captain... Uh, Jean-Luc Picard? Well, yeah. Let's do with Luke Picard. Dude. I was going to say Captain Kirk in his <sighs> speak songs. Oh, God. oh, no. That'd be so awesome as a comedic movie <laughs> i bet you you could just take all the original series of star trek and just put it to a beat and oh, it would just be the same doubt. this is not logical captain captain stargate six i can't do it i don't have the power damn it scotty damn it damn it jim i'm a doctor well, can you imagine? There's got to be a timeline out there where Star Trek is a musical show. All shows are musicals except for what you go to the theater to see. If Star Trek started them. today, like 
erase its entire history and that's it started scary. today, that's you scary. know there would have been a, a musical episode. Absolutely. Or there would be like those little tropes where they just make it like, oh, like how supernatural kind of becomes oh, meta after dude, a oh, while. Oh, dude. Like where and they were like, in Scooby-Doo? Yeah, yeah. Dude. You know they would do that at like absolutely to Star Trek if it started absolutely. today. Absolutely, absolutely. But I'm glad they didn't because I'm not as big into Star Trek as I am like Star Wars and all the other space stuff. Yeah, it's just too much to watch. And then once you see good animation for sci-fi, it's hard to go back to worse animation. Oh, yeah, you know yeah, what I mean. Yeah, where like the set the sets are all shit. Like um, Doctor Who, the new Doctor Who. I started with Pete, um, Pete, not Pete. Is it Pete Eccleston? Is that his name? Uh, in 05? Yeah. I think you are right. I don't know. Oh, it's Christopher Eccleston. He, so I saw in 2005, and even then, some of the animation was iffy. But then it gets yeah. way better. The acting gets way better. I tried to watch one, an older one from like the late 70s, early 80s. When it was all practical. Yeah. And like people are turning into giant slugs on the ship. Yeah. And you can tell... They took sleeping bags, wrapped it in bubble wrap that they colored green, and called it the creature. Yeah, now, well, were the I mean, actors had... good? Yeah, but it's like y- you can tell that it's so fake. Well, I mean, Doctor Who never had the best, like, it, it was such a low-budget show. Yeah. Because, like, no one, re- it was a cult show that no one really watched on the other than some niche right. uh, group of people. Um, It wasn't until after 05 where they're like, oh, you know they this actually cool. tried to reboot that show as an American f- show. I'm so glad that they didn't get a chance to screw that up. Oh been no, so they bad. made a movie. They did. Yeah. Is that the 1997 one? Uh huh. Oh, and it boy. was the one where they actually took the um the doctor who was the current doctor in the, in the the show and uh-huh. when it got canceled, and they brought him over and they would just Americanize it and it was just terrible it it doesn't work that's why it didn't work it was like, like it never it was going to use it as a revival and then that's when they're like it was just terrible it was just a made for tv film Ooh. so it was it did not go well and that's why they, yeah. it took them till 05 to like oh let's try it one more time yeah, it's just because i think it's a uniquely british show because like british humor is cheeky and yeah. they're also posh americans can't pull that off no and they're uh, like a lot of the lines with that is very fast delivery where you have yeah. to actually either listen or just get it. You yeah. know, like you're just like, Oh, he's funny. Yeah. And like, you sound like you're from London. Yeah, exactly. That's what Americans can pull off. Yeah. And they, I feel like they kind of did that in the librarians. That was like an American attempt at Dr. Who a little so bit. So Actually, I think that was actually a spinoff trying to like a copycat of another show that was really? more of a, um, kind of a play off of the Doctor Who. It's called. It was in sci-fi. It was called Warehouse Thirteen. Interesting. Way better. It was better actors. Uh, the writing was just better. It was just unique at the time. Right. It was a unique thing. Same. It was literally. It's the librarians in that sense, where two FBI agents get um, re not recasted. Um, <laughs> God damn. Reincarnated. Uh, Huh? Reincarnated? No, not reincarnated. They just got um. Oh my God! What's basically they worked for the FBI and the CIA. This a guy and a girl were mm-hmm. are two different parts of Secret Service, um, in America. Got it. And they get um sent to this warehouse thirteen because they're 
for a new assignment. Got it. There we go. Oh, they get Whew. reassigned. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Sure plays a mean ping ball. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and there's a quirky guy who runs this warehouse. And right. in this warehouse is filled with artifacts. And each of these artifacts are things like... Um, like the Ark of the Covenant. Yeah, Excalibur, that's like in there. Like or like, like it's like just things that are just pop culture like things like uh, the walking stick or um, Theodore Roosevelt's eyeglass, you know, glasses or. Oh, like each those, got it. Yeah. But each of those things have a specific power to them. And that's why they put into this warehouse because they are dangerous if they're in the wrong hands. Like some of them will like cause you to get angry all the time because it's like it mimics what that person in history is known so, for. So, like, Teddy Roosevelt's glasses make you walk softly and carry a big stick? Yeah. Got it. Or, like, you know, like, you have a... It's the, the crown of King Midas, and now you have the ability to touch oh. or change everything go- to gold. But there's always side effects to it. And the, I their dig job, that. Um, and usually, like, more, some are more severe to others. And I the, dig that. Yeah. It's all monkey's paw shit. I love yeah, that. Yeah. And their job is to cr- find these in... The, the world and get them back into the warehouse for them to put into safekeeping. It's kind of like Indiana Jones too. A Basically. Bit. Yeah. Kind of like, like that, that too. I like but that's that. what literally what the librarians were. Oh yeah. And the librarians happened like three or four years after that show started yeah. and that show was ending and they started the librarians on a bigger budget. Network, I mean, bigger yeah, network. bigger network. And it was yeah. not that good. I didn't like the actors. And the first episode was good because I thought it was unique. But then, like at the end, they basically played the Doctor Who theme song. It yeah. sounded oh, exactly. Yeah. It was like, Pew! I was like, are they trying to tell yeah. us this is Doctor Who? And then, like two episodes into that, I was like, why is Rebecca Main Stamos in this? She's terrible. <laughs> and then she falls in love with the actual librarian. I was like, this is so bad. <laughs> so, uh, I think it's on Netflix. Yeah. So the guy that was like the short guy that was like. The I think he was a cowboy. Was yeah, like no, I like him. Yeah, he. Um, so he has a cooking show on Netflix. Get out of town. It's pretty old because I, I guess he's known for a lot of things. Like he's been. He in a released lot of films. a country album. Yeah, he does. He's just like a jack of all trades. Yeah. So he has a Netflix. He has in Netflix. I don't know if it's still on there. It's a cooking show and it's terrible. Really? It's literally like, hey, I'm gonna make my meat lovers pizza, and he piles a bunch of cold cuts on this pizza. And sticks it in the And oven. it looks like a volcano. <laughs> he puts it on there. <laughs> and I can't tell if he's trying to be serious or not. It's like he's trying to do a satire. Right. But he's like, he's like, I'm so-and-so. And I'm I'm kind of like a jack-of-all-trades. And has like cuts to scenes of him like playing a guitar and twirling his knife like a ninja. <laughs> he was good in, oh, what was that show? Where... They went after like insurance companies for people who couldn't go after insurance companies. It was on TNT and it was pretty good. He was like, he was the muscle on that team because the main guys. Did you see The Haunting at Hill House? Oh, yeah, Netflix? the Netflix? Yeah. The guy who played the old dad okay. was the main character in this. And they oh. always like had different. Leverage? No. Leverage. It was a leverage? It was leverage, okay. yes. I really liked that show. That was about insurance companies? He got into what he did because his insurance company wouldn't pay for his kid's treatment. And so his kid died. So now so he, he was, was screwing crime? over corporations. Oh, okay. 
using a bunch of different ways to screw over corporations. Remember that other show that was on that was like, uh, it was about, it was like criminals that went to a half hour house and they had certain sentence skills, kind of like the mob squad, but not the mob squad. Mm -hmm. And there was a guy that was like their handler and, oh, maybe it was mob squad. They make that a TV show? Probably. I don't, I I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Well, whatever. It was cool. I believe it, dude. It sounds like it, I mean, I've never seen Warehouse 13, but that sounds like a show I would dig the crap out. I think it's on Netflix. I've watched that. Watch that, that right after this. Dude, we could. Yeah. Speaking of, I feel like it's time to wrap up. Yeah, it's probably time. So, I'm sorry that we digress there at the end, but those are the six biggest flops that we think are the biggest flops that turn into good movies. Did we miss any? Let us know once we set up our website. Next podcast, we're either going to be watching terrible sci-fi movies like the classic Piranaconda, or i'm really excited for this one called velocipastor about a pastor who can transform into a velociraptor in africa and fights crime wait what why are we watching that right now i'm just telling you it sounds awesome we may review those or we may be talking about what i uh, what are perfect films like the princess bride yeah okay we could do that we could talk about anime we don't know we're still learning as we go this is Jim Lovecheck with the Nerd Fury Podcast. He's Dan Granado. Yeah. You just listened to us talk for feels like two hours. Hope you enjoy it. See you next time. Bye.